18, and I'm going to go into part two of teaching the friend of God, and I appreciate those of you who connected with me since two weeks ago we started the teaching on the friend of God. If you haven't heard it, I would encourage you to go to our YouTube channel or our podcast and listen to it in its entirety. And um, I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but I do want to say for those of you who hadn't heard it, it's the only message God ever gave me by divine dump. You know what I mean by that? Divine download. I didn't study this out. Uh, I have since then, but the way he gave it to me was he said, I, you, I have called you my friend. You are now therefore my friend. And instantly the entire teaching that was downloaded to me and it came with the instructions. That's all I was to teach everywhere for a full year. And uh, so I don't even know how many times I've taught it. I was listening to one of the earlier teachings of it. And in that teaching, I said, I've taught this about 300 times. Uh, I'm assuming I wasn't lying, so I probably have. And, um, but every time it's different, and this is going to be entirely different. I've never taught it the way I'm about to teach it. I never taught it the way I taught it to you two weeks ago. And, uh, and I will say this, that uh, when I used to teach it as an itinerant, and it was a four-part series back when each message was a minimum of 90 minutes. So uh, we could be on it for a while, because now I don't teach for 90 minutes, and y'all said... Thank you, Jesus. So uh, we'll be on it as long as you keep pulling. Amen. John chapter 15, verse 15. We're going to read these words together out of the New American Standard. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, I want you to notice those four words there, and I put them in bold, and I want you to see this. I have called you friends. Human beings and God share an amazing, divinely imparted, for us it's divine, with God it's inherent, but we have the ability to define things, to name things. If you'll remember back when God created man and he paraded all of creation before Adam and he gave Adam the divine responsibility of naming everything. And the Bible tells us that that which he called these things, that's what they were, right? This was, not a, this was a, a manifestation of divine authority. By naming something, Adam was doing two things. He was defining it, and he was claiming ownership over it. And so even in our fallen state, you and I have a unique ability to define the things in our lives. Right? God defines things by naming them. And so what I want you to see here is that the Scripture says, I have called you. I called you. I called you what? I called you my friend. So that means from the kingdom's perspective, you are the friends of God. Hear me when I say this to you, that to the whole world, through Christ, God has offered the invitation of salvation. That's to the whole world, through Christ. To those who are saved through Christ, He offers the invitation of friendship. And I want to say this to you again because this is what I want you to hear. Calling someone your friend when you get to understand what a friend is. See, and I said this to you last two weeks ago. 
that we have cheapened and watered down the term. We call everyone friend. We think that 5,000 people you're connected to on Facebook are your friends. You better pray they ain't. Because the Bible says a man of many friends comes to ruin. If every one of those people were your friends, you'd be broke. You'd have no time. You want to know why? Because friendship is a covenant term. And friends, hear me when I tell you this, friends, if they're truly your friends, will cost you time, will cost you money, and will cost you effort. Because when a friend calls, you go. When a friend has a need, it's your need. Now this is so important because you'll understand as when, when God said, I call you friends, he understood what it meant to be someone's friend. See, many times you and I don't understand friendship. This is the reason why we've invited people into our circle of friendships that didn't qualify and they ended up hurting us. And we wonder why they did what they did. They did what they did because they were never your friend. But you let them in not knowing what a friend was. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But when we understand what a friend is, now we're equipped to be one, but we're also equipped to be blessed by one. Amen? And, and so the, this, I need to stick on this thing about defining. Because one of the paramount, most important things that God will do in any one of our lives is this. Redefine us. Every one of us have been defined by people who didn't really know us. They only knew of us. They knew our past. They knew our appearance. They knew our mistakes. Man has a tendency to call us something less than what God has named us. And so our single greatest struggle in life is to accept the new definition God gives us. I'm skipping over a whole bunch of things, but it seems to be this is what the Lord wants you to hear. It's important. Listen, Sister Fowler, can you put up the slide to define the word define? To define, get this, to define means to set limits to bound, to mark out boundaries. This is why I often say that you become confined by the way you are defined. If you allow people to define you according to your gender, according to your background, according to your race, according to any of these external things, you become confined by that definition. And then this is, oh, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm finding the path here. This is the reason why when we receive a truly prophetic word, I mean a truly prophetic word, I'm not talking about one of those cheap parking lot prophetic words. I'm talking about when God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, speaks to you. It doesn't seem like it fits you because God never speaks to the you that you pretend to be in order to fit in with the crowd. God only ever speaks to the real you. And when he speaks to the real you, you think that ain't you because you don't know who you are. You know who you are according to what they've called you. When we understand that we're confined by the definition, let me explain it to you this way. 
The way we define something or someone determines how we relate to it. Right? Follow me. If I define you as dangerous, I'm going to always be cautious around you. If I define you as a liar, I ain't never going to believe you. I'm going to hear everything you say with suspicion. You might not be a liar. You might not be dangerous. But if I define you as such, you are to me. Right? Now where it becomes self-imposed confinement is when you begin to believe what they have said about you. You begin to believe that what they have said is who you really are, so now you become confined by their definition of you. They are wrong. You know, my wife will tell you this, but when we went to Bible school, I was the most judgmental of people on the entire campus. The reason I was the most judgmental is because I knew I was the most spiritual. And so I defined everybody. And I discovered through the process of time and God's grace that I was a horrible judge. If I'd have been a baseball player, I would have been fired because my batting average was bad. Right? I remember one lady in particular, every time I saw her, I defined her as an idiot. She just was. I knew she was. And so I treated her as such. I defined her as an idiot, so I treated her with disdain. When I finally got to know her, I discovered she was not only intelligent, she was kind, she was loving, she was far better person than I was, right? But I didn't treat her that way, I didn't interact with her that way because I didn't define her that way. Why am I saying this? Because when we define someone or something, even God himself, then we confine that individual, even God himself, to the way we define him. This is the reason why some people, they love the Lord. They, they're devout Christians, but they're afraid of God because they have been taught to define him as a judge and a judge alone. God is someone sitting way off on a throne, big, long, white beard with a hammer in his hand, waiting to smite those who mess up. We define him as a judge, so we live in fear. And then there comes a time we learn, I hope, to define him as a father. So we relate to him as a son. But the Lord doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to go on and define him as a friend. So we can relate to him as a friend. Now, when I relate to him as a friend, does that mean he's not a judge? No, no, no. He's still a judge. He's still a father. He's just now become to me a friend. When I receive God for who he has revealed himself to be, I don't make him less than who he is. You understand that? I could never make God less than who he is because he lives beyond my ability to diminish. He's God, I'm not. Right, you don't understand what I'm saying? But my ability to enter in and relate to him is determined by how I define him. Human beings have an amazing ability to limit the Holy One of Israel. Even Jesus Christ found himself in a village where there he could do no mighty works. Why? Because they defined him as Joseph's son, the carpenter's son. That's all they could see him as. 
So you and I will discover as we grow in the knowledge of God that he seeks to redefine us. Because in our Christian churches, we love to sing songs about enlarging our territory, increasing our influence, spreading out our tent. But I want to say something to you. You can never, and this is deep, you can never become more until you become more. In other words, you can't stretch out your tent. You can't increase your confinement until you change the way you're defined. So God, this is written. If you walk out in that hallway, you're going to see a sign that says redefining your life. Why? Because that's the mandate on this ministry. My job is to give you the information, the education, and the motivation you need to redefine yourself according to how God has seen you and leave behind the confinements. Because too many of us have been limited by limited men who limited God and they limit us by their suppositions, their judgments, and their opinions. We've got to learn to believe I am what he called me to be, not what they said I was. And he called me his friend. So why would I not enter in to a friendship with the Almighty when he offered the invitation? Why would I accept the judgment of people who are educated beyond their intellect? And they stand up and they say it in the Elizabethan English, Thou with cantest be the friendeth of Goddeth. For Goddeth is Goddeth and you are noteth. No, no, listen. You and I, we should never answer. Never answer to those low impact titles. We should only respond to what God has called us. I remember one time years ago, I was on a television program. And they asked me to come on and teach about our identity in Christ. And so I was laying down the revelation, bro. Laying it down. And everything I said, the host would look at me and say, Now, brother, you know we're just sinners saved by grace. And I, after a while, I'm thinking, dude, are you dense? No matter what I said, this was his response. Now, brother... You know we're just sinners. In other words, he wasn't getting it. Some people just can't get it. I was a sinner. I was. But by grace, I ain't. So you can call me that all day, but I'll never respond to it. Why? Because I'm now a child of the living God. I'm a saint. I'm a friend of God. So you and I have got to learn to quit responding to loser. Quit responding to unloved, unappreciated. Quit responding to unwanted. Those aren't your names anymore. Because God wants our life to increase, but in order for our life to increase, we've got to allow him to redefine us. And this is what, when the Lord said, I'm calling you friends, he's saying, look, at this is a defining moment. Before this, I called you servants, and you were confined to servanthood. Servant, listen, servants receive based on work. Servants receive based on work. You got to work hard to get a little. That's a servant. A friend receives on the basis of friendship. Listen, I'm skipping all over the place. Sister Fowler, I beg your forgiveness ahead of time. 
Have you ever wondered why God made Abraham exceedingly rich? Because he was his friend. And it's impossible, hear me when I tell you this, it's impossible if you're my friend for me to have and you have not. That's an impossibility. If you're my friend and we go to a restaurant, you're eating. It don't matter if you got to eat off my plate, you're eating. It don't matter if I got to give you my meal, if you're my friend. Now, if you're a stranger, you're going hungry. Unless the Lord speaks to me. But if the Lord don't speak to me, you ain't getting my fried chicken. But if you're my friend, I'm not going to let you smell and not have. When God made Abraham his friend, everything God had, Abraham had access to. See, if you and I approach God, oh, please hear me when I tell you this. We approach God as a servant, then we're thinking, Lord, I worked hard. I worked hard. I prayed long. I gave much. Can I have a few crumbs? Oh, but pastor, no, no, that's impossible if we're a son. Oh, I dare you to go to the story of the prodigal son and look at the elder brother. The elder brother worked in the field every day. Why wasn't he at daddy's table? Because he saw daddy as a master. And he was working to get the approval of his own father. And you know where his resentment was? His resentment was, I worked hard and you gave me nothing. You never so much as gave me a happy meal. And the daddy looked at him and said, son, do you not understand? You could have had anything at any time. Everything I have, son... It was yours, but you defined me as a hard taskmaster. You defined me as unapproachable, so you kept your distance and you suffered in silence, and now you resent me because you had nothing. Where if you simply would have allowed me to redefine you when I called you loved one, if you would have received it. When I called you my son, if you would have received it. When I called you my friend, if you would have believed it. You could have entered it at any time and had access to anything I have. See, you and I live far below where God has called us. Because we're in this battle. Do I believe him or do I believe them? They said I couldn't have that type of... Who do I think I am? You're a child of God. But see, they limit you by what they know of you after the flesh. So God seeks to redefine us. And I want to give you three ways he does this. And if you'll understand what I'm about to say, then you won't fight the redefinition. Don't fight for your right to be miserable. Don't fight for your right to be poor. Don't fight for your right to be sick. See, some, listen, some people, they, deserve, they feel they, there's just something on the inside. They feel they deserve to be punished. I mean, I've had people sit with me and say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. That has nothing to do with it. We need to know what he's done. Because what he's done is more important than what we've done. If I can enter in by faith to his grace, all things have become new. Nothing matters but his love poured out upon me. I don't care what the devil says. 
I don't care what my mama says. I don't care what my papa says. I don't care what my aunt says. I don't care what my uncle says. What has the Lord said? That's all that matters. When the doctor says, well, you know, every male in your family has died by the age of 52, and you're 51, I would suggest you get your house in order. They're judging based upon your history, and that's what the world always does. But what you need to do is reject that. You can do it politely, or you can just tell them, bro, you're educated beyond your intellect. You do not understand I'm a new creature in Christ. And he said, with a long life would he satisfy me and show me his salvation. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Well, pastor, that's your problem. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? He's called you his friend. So this is how the Lord seeks to redefine you. And in the redefining, he's trying to expand your boundaries. Three things that he does. He renames us. And I'll touch that in just a minute. Number two, he relocates us. He renames us and he relocates us. Now, that relocation may be across the country, may be across the street. But part two goes into part three. He repopulates us. I didn't conjure this up out of my imagination. This is done over and over and over again in the Bible. He renames. He relocates. Why does he relocate? Because sometimes he needs to put you among a group of people who don't know all the mistakes you've made. He needs to put you with a new group because the old group keeps calling you by old names. And when you try to tell them, listen, my name ain't Abram no more, it's Abraham. They're going to say, who do you think you are? You ain't got no kids. See, some people, they know too much of your history to appreciate your destiny. And so God will move you to a new group of people who don't know all the mistakes you've made so they're not prejudging you. And so when you share your dream, they're not going to know enough about you to know it's impossible. And though, so they're more inclined to celebrate you than tolerate you. And then he repopulates you, and that's right, that's right with number two. He renames, he relocates, and he repopulates. Our problem is sometimes we resist all three. When he calls us a new name, we say, no, I'm this. And he says, no, you're that. No, I'm this. No, you're that. Then when he tries to relocate, we're like, God, I don't want to let go of them. I've been here. I'm invested in here. I've been here so long. And the Lord, if we would hear his voice, we would hear him whisper, I can't take you there until you leave here. And then when he brings new people into our lives, we got to make room by letting go of some of the old. I once heard a little known preacher by the name of Bishop T.D. Jake say, the greatest handicap in the lives of Christians is the inability to say goodbye. We're unwilling to say goodbye to someone because we went to high school with them. So I went to high school with you. That means what? 
It means nothing. <laughs> I got to watch the clock. Do you remember a time Jesus was sitting in a house and he was teaching? And it was reported to him. Some people came and they said, teacher, teacher, your mama and your brothers are outside. They come to get you because they think you're going crazy. They're hearing stories about those things you're teaching and they want to take you back home, lock you up until you come to your senses. That's what they wanted. This was an intervention. And Jesus asked the question. Now, you, if you know the character of Christ, you know he was never disrespectful. He was not dishonoring his mother. He won't break a commandment he created. But he asked him a question. He said, who's my mama? Who are my brothers? I'm not denying the biological relationship. But there's a higher relationship than biological. There's a spiritual relationship. And I have more in common with those who are here in this room believing what I'm saying than those who are outside doubting who I am. So he looked around the room and he said, Behold, Mama. Behold, my brothers. He wasn't being just, listen, Jesus lives by these principles. He lived by them, and you and I ought to too. Daddy, I love you, but I'm not called to be you. So I celebrate the fact that you helped give birth to me. But I can't be limited by what limited you. So he renames, he relocates, and he repopulates. Go to the book of Genesis. I want to show you over and over again how often this happens in Scripture. Genesis chapter 32, verse 27. Everyone say, I'm listening. I know it's Labor Day weekend and you'll get home in time to fire up the grill and put those soy burgers on. Genesis chapter 32, verse 27. I'm going to read verse 27 and 28. So he, this is the Lord speaking. He said to him, what is your name? That is an amazingly dangerous question. What the Lord is asking is, How do you, what do you call yourself? This is what he's asking Jacob. What's your designation? How do you see yourself? What do you call yourself? I have a teaching. What do you, what do you see when you look in the mirror? I have searched the scriptures with intensity, looking for God's greatest problem. And I discovered it. It looks at me every day in the mirror. The only problem God has in all of creation, you think that God's got a problem with the devil? You think God has a problem with demons and disease and poverty? No. God has one problem. It's you. Over and over again, he said, oh, if my people would only believe. Oh, if my people would only believe. We are God's only problem. If we would simply believe what he has said about himself, about his creation, and about us. What has God said about me? He said, I call you my friend. But God, I don't deserve to be your friend. 
It's not about what you deserve. It's about grace. He has invited us into the most intimate place. The greatest thing you can call a person is a friend. It's better than wife. I know people that got rings on their fingers and they ain't friends. They live together, they ain't friends. The greatest relationship in life is a friend. You can't call anyone a greater uh, a, a title with more honor than to call them friend. And so when God says, I call you my friends, he's saying, remember I told you two weeks ago, can you imagine how this blew their mind? Because they knew that in the history of Israel, only two men, only two, had ever been called a friend of God. Not Isaiah, not David, not Jeremiah. Only two. What an exclusive club. And God says, listen, here's my grace. I'm throwing open the door. Y'all want to be my friend? I sure would like to be yours. You want to be my friend? Hello, you want to be my friend? In his book, The Life and Times of Christ, The Life and Teachings of Christ, the late great Gordon Lindsay said, God created man to be his friend. God desires friends. I said this to you, God never wanted slaves. Hear me. God doesn't want a servant. He wants a friend. He calls you a joint heir, a co-laborer. He wants you to come up in fellowship with him as an... Oh, can you say it? An equal. Oh, but pastor, that's too good to be true. That's why it's called grace, man. So he looks at Jacob. He says, what's your name? And Jacob responded. And he said, Jacob. Do you know what Jacob means? Heel catcher. Supplanter. One who takes what isn't his. Jacob said, this is who I am. How do you know that, Jacob? Because that's what they've told me my whole life. My whole life they've told me I was wrong. My whole life they told me I was unwanted. My whole life they called me an orphan. They called me unloved. They called me handicapped. They called me stupid. They said I couldn't learn. They said I couldn't achieve. They said I would die young and broke. That's what they've told me my whole life. And God says, who do you say you are? I am who they called me. And look at what he says in verse 28. He said, your name, your name, your designation, your potential, your destiny shall no longer be Jacob. Everyone say redefining. redefining. Do you see this? Your name will no longer be Jacob. They've all called you Jacob your whole life. But when God comes on the scene, one of the most important things he'll ever do is redefine you. Wow. He said, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Your designation will no longer be heel catcher. But listen to this. Israel, we all have heard it called the prince of God. Here's a more literal definition. He who rules as God. That's what it means in Hebrew. God comes and he finds someone who's a heel catcher. 
who's always trying to catch up to what other people and supplant what is theirs. And God says, I'm going to elevate you beyond that. I'm going to make you my prince. You're going to rule as God. For you have authority and influence with God and authority with man. Do you see? Listen. Oh, I don't know if y'all are getting this or if you're recoiling at this. When God redefines you, he doesn't redefine you as something small. I said it many years ago. When we paint the portrait of our lives, we tend to paint in pale pastels. Why? Because we taught, oh, a man ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought. And that's true. But that doesn't mean you ought not to think of yourself according to the word. It just means you ought not to think you deserve all of these things because of your goodness. When you lose the awe of God and think you are who you are because you're something special, now you're arrogant. But when you understand you are who you are because he renamed you, he redefined you, I don't deserve it, but I have it by grace. It ain't arrogance. It's confidence. God doesn't, God doesn't paint the portrait of your life with pale pastels. Oh, no, no. Listen to me, baby. <laughs> when he paints the portrait of your life, he paints it in bright, vivid colors. Because he wants everyone to see what he's done with you. He wants everyone to know this is what I can do to a heel catcher. This is what I can do to a supplanter. This is what I can do with someone who was born into nothing, has nothing, has no hopes, has no dreams, born on the wrong side of the tracks. This is what I can do with a nobody. I can make him a prince of God. And he didn't do it just once. He did it over and over and over again. There was a man named Gideon. Oh, I got to hurry up. There was a man named Gideon. Gideon, who are you? I'm the least member of the least family, of the least tribe. Oh, no, 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 bro, you got that wrong. You're a mighty man of valor. Say what? Who are you? I'm Abram, the fatherless one. No, 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 you got that wrong. You're Abraham, the father of many nations. Who are you? I'm Cephas, the little pebble. No, 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 no. You got that wrong. I'm going to call you Peter, the rock. Who are you? Well, I'm Saul, the murderer. No, 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 no. You got that wrong. You're Paul, the apostle. Well, who are you? Well, I'm a loser. No, 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 you got that wrong. You're more than a conqueror. See how he renames you? Well, who are you? I'm unloved. No, 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 you're the beloved. Well, who are you? I'm the poor. No, 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 no. You're the prosperous, for I'll meet all of your needs according to my riches in Christ. Who are you? I'm the diseased. Oh, no, 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 no. You got that wrong. Let me redefine you. You're the healed of the Lord. Over and over and over again, he redefines us. What we have to do is by faith say, Father, I am who you called me to be. Because behavior always follows belief. When you begin to believe that you are who God called you to be, you'll begin to behave as if you are who God called you to be. The key is to receive by faith. Go back to John 15. We got to get going. 
I'm on page three of ten notes, ten pages. In John 15, God was redefining them. I want to say to you again, God never wanted slaves. He's always wanted friends. And when he told these men, I call you my friends, their minds must have reeled because they knew perfectly well only two men had ever been called a friend of God. And both of these men did extraordinary things. When you understand that you're a friend of God, your life is going to open up. Your struggle will cease. Oh, I'm not saying you won't have faith battles. But the battle will be to continue on in faith, believing you are who he called you to be. When you're faced with contradictory evidence, right? You're the prosperous of the Lord. I say it and I believe it. And you go home and you're still looking at the bills. Don't be like that man James told us about who looked in the word and saw what manner of man he was. But then when he went out and he went home and he got into the community, he forgot what it was he saw. He forgot what manner of man he was and he began to believe he was this again. Never go back to this. Never go back to this. Never go back to this. Press on to this. Paul said, forgetting about those things that are behind me. I forget about them. Huh? How do you say that? How do I say it so you get it? Forget about it. Just forget about it. You may have lost every battle you've ever been in. Forget about it. This is the day you win. Why? Because this is the day I believe. And the Bible says faith is the victory. I've already won, Jack. Devil, when you come against me and you tell me I'm going to die early, I'm letting you know I've already won. When you're going to come against me and tell me I'm going to have to file bankruptcy and I'll never live where I want to live, I'll never drive what I want to drive, I'll never be so blessed I can help others, I'm telling you straight up, I've already got it. I've already won. Go tell your sob story to someone who's dumb enough to believe you. Abraham and, Moses operated, Abraham and Moses operated on a whole new level. Go to the book of Exodus. I'm going to hurry up. As you're turning to Exodus chapter 32, remember that Moses spoke to God face to face. As a man speaketh to his friend. I remember when I first started teaching this. And a man who was supposed to be something stood up and said in a very haughty voice, you can never call God your friend. And he told the whole church that I was about to preach it into. And I knew, everyone knew he was attacking me. I'm going to tell you, can I tell you this? When you begin to believe you are who God called you to be, not everyone's going to celebrate your new identity. Because some people, listen, you've heard the old saying, misery loves company. There are some people, they don't want you to become more than who you are. Because they look at your misery as an excuse for them to stay miserable. So you need to understand straight up, not everyone's going to celebrate you. Not everyone's going to applaud you. And there's going to be some people with very educated come against you and say, you can't call God that. You can't do this. You can't. Listen, if it's written, then our uncertainty is unnecessary. If it's written, you just be it because God said you are it. And life will open up. Exodus chapter 32. The Lord said to Moses... I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone. I like you. Look at listen to the, God. You know, God can get angry. 
Let me alone, (laughs) that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. And I will make of you a great nation. Father, help us to be your friends. Because I don't want to read the rest of it. You'll read it. Read through all the way. Moses entreated the Lord. Here's what I want to say to you. We see in the life of Moses a man who had God's heart. And he was more concerned about God's reputation than his promotion or position. I'm going to let that sink in for a little bit. Do you know how many churches have been split because people cared more about their promotion than God's reputation in that community? I mean, associate pastors who someone came and whispered in their ear, you know, Pastor Moses ain't doing too well anymore. He's a little bit off his game. I think we should go across town and you and us together. Listen, I've already spoke to the top 100 givers in the church. We'll all follow you. And we'll go make a church after your name. And if you don't have the heart of God, you're thinking, yeah, bro, let's go do it. Because I'm tired of being this. I want to go be the head honcho. Moses had an opportunity for the nation of Israel to be called Mosesites. He was going to be the new Abraham. And look what he said. He said he entreated the Lord. He goes on to say, this, Lord, don't do this because if you do this, the Egyptians are going to say you did all of those things just to get them out so you could kill them. He was more concerned about God's reputation than his own position or promotion. A sign of friendship is self-sacrifice. If you got people in your life that they're more inclined to sacrifice you... <laughs> than they are themselves, they ain't your friends. Oh, I got a lot to say. I got to hurry up. So verse 14 says, So the Lord changed his mind. A friend of God. Not a servant, a friend. What, can you oh. He goes in and he entreats the Lord. Instead of being a servant, he goes in and he said, Lord, this ain't like you. I know you're ticked. They tick me off too. But if you wipe them out, Everyone's going to say you're unjust. Lord, don't do it. You and I know they deserve it, but don't do it. How it must have blessed the heart of God to have a friend like Moses. Yes, I said that. Moses cared more about God's reputation. Then let's not forget about Abraham. Genesis 18, verse 20. The Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. Remember, he said, I'm not going to hide what I'm about to do from Abraham. So he told Abraham, I'm going to go wipe them all out. And in verse 25, Abraham responds and he says, far be it from you to do such a thing. Abraham, just like Moses, cared more about the reputation of God. And Abraham did something that to this day stands out. He negotiated with God. He negotiated with the Almighty. How about 50? Lord, would you save the whole place for 50? Yeah, I'll save them for 50. Then Abraham got to thinking, well, I visited the place. There might not be 50. How about 40? Lord, would you save them all for 40? Do you see this? A man entering into negotiations with the Creator? I'm telling you, what God wants for you and I is to become what He has called us to be. Friends, joint heirs, co-laborers, where we could enter in and talk to God because we have the heart of God. We're not sitting back and waiting for instructions. We're standing up and saying, Lord, this is what I think we ought to do. And the Lord says, what do you think we ought to do about it? This is what I think we ought to do. Oh, you can't do that. Yes, you can, if you have His heart. Now listen, I... In the weeks to come, I'm going to talk to you about the responsibilities of friendship and the cost of friendship. 
Because this position is great, but so is the responsibility. Let's keep going. Hallelujah, Father. Oh, I got too much to say in too little time. Can you give me just, a, it's five after. Can you give me five more minutes? I'll do what tallies. How many of you will give me five more minutes? I don't learn much from him, but I did learn that. I know he's watching. Every one of us, we were created by God for community. You've heard me say it before. We were called to do more than just believe. We're called to belong. We yearn for friends. So does God. God yearns for friends. Many times our heartache, our scars, our pain has been because we didn't know what a friend was. We didn't understand how to be one. We didn't understand what to expect from one. So we received people into our lives and we, we brought them into that intimate circle physically, financially, spiritually, soulishly. And because we, we so yearned for a friend, we brought them in and then they ended up hurting us and we wonder why and how and we vow we'll never be hurt that way again. So we shut ourselves up from one of the very things God created us for. And I want to illustrate it this way, and I'll, I'll say it quick and got one more story to share with you, and then we'll close for today. But imagine if you're walking along a mountain path, and Sister Fowler, if you can, put that picture up of the baby kitten. You're walking along on this mountain path, and you see in your path this cute little kitten. And you wonder to yourself, what kind of monster brings a kitten out into the woods and leaves it to die? You've always wanted a kitten. This must be God's gift. So you reach down and you pick up the kitten and you carry it home. And at first everything is wonderful. When you pet him, he purrs. And you think, I shall keep him and I shall name him Sylvester. <laughs> and as Sylvester grows, you notice some things seem to be off, but your desire to have a kitty cat is so strong, you ignore the warning signs. The cat's abnormally large. <laughs> And your neighbors start talking about how the pets in the neighborhood are disappearing. <laughs> and you see all the warning signs. Your, your neighbor, who happens to be a biologist, tells you that ain't a kitty cat. But no, 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 this is a kitty cat. It's a gift from God. I found him in the woods. And you ignore all the warning signs. And you all know I'm telling you the truth. Because you brought people into your inner circle and the Lord whispered to your heart, don't do it. Yes, but you so desperately wanted a friend. Then one day you come home and Sylvester jumps on you and tries to eat your face off. And as you lay wounded, disfigured, you're wondering, what did I do to deserve this? And why would Sylvester turn on me this way? The answer is, you brought a liar, into, I mean a lion, into your house. You wanted this liar, I mean this lion, to be your friend. But you put yourself in harm's way because all this lion did is what lions do. See, when you bring a backstabber, a gossip, a busybody, a heartbreaker into your home, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt. 
We have to learn what it is to be a friend because until we can define one, we ain't never going to have one. And until we can be one, they're going to forever be elusive. God wants to be your first and your best friend. In closing, years ago when I was meditating on this, I heard the Lord say this, and I want you to hear this. He said, I created nothing to be miserable, unhappy, or depressed. All things were created for my pleasure, and I received pleasure from that which I created. God did not create our life to be hard. He did not create you to be miserable. We're made miserable when we invite people into our lives who aren't supposed to be there. This teaching on friendship is going to do more than open up a new dimension for you in Christ. It's going to help you discern who's in your life. Because when you know what a friend is, you're not easily fooled. I'm going to close it with this story. I want to reveal to you exactly how, and this is a true story, this is how desperately God values your friendship over your service. A young man gave his heart to God and left a successful blossoming business career. And his church denomination sent him along with his wife and baby girl to a remote village in the region of the Amazon. They threw themselves into the preaching of the gospel with zeal. He and his family did all they could to grow that little church, but nothing happened. The people did not come, and the few Christians who were there when he came did not share his excitement. He worked in the stifling humidity, watching his personal funds gradually drain away. Tithes from his tiny congregation were paid in vegetables. The weeks passed into months, and he watched in mental agony his wife and his child living on a starvation diet. His denomination assured him that they would send him money, but it rarely came. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. He felt disillusioned and abandoned by God and humanity. One night, lying awake, sweating in the stifling heat, he felt his discouragement take over. He woke his wife and told her that he decided to leave and return to Rio Janeiro, where he would resume his business career. But before leaving, he knew he had to process his anger toward God. He screamed, he brought us up here and dumped us. He doesn't care whether we live or die, and I have to tell him how I feel. He left her to pack while he went off to a small shack to vent his anger. For hours he railed and raged at God for bringing them to such a place, expecting him and his family to serve him under impossible conditions. He shook his fist and shouted, Did you bring us here to starve us to death? And then wept at his own disappointment in God. I don't know if any of you can relate. I've done this. I've had a temper tantrum with God. And you know the crazy thing? He didn't rebuke me. In the early afternoon, he sensed God's presence fill the cabin, and great stillness came over him. He heard God speak clearly and distinctly in his heart. And listen to this. This is what the Lord told this young man. Above all, I desire your friendship. If serving me interrupts and disrupts our friendship, I would rather you go back to your business and continue to be my friend. Your friendship is more important to me than all your acts of service. 
This one revelation could change the church. Because we got people serving in church and we're called to serve. Don't get me wrong. God didn't call us to be just recipients. He wants us to be participants. But he wants us to serve his kingdom from a place of love, not fear. As a friend engaged in his friend's activities. So this young man dissolved into tears of wonder and joy. His whole concept of Christianity was radically altered that day with those words. He now realized that he had been trained to see God as a master who had to be served. But he realized now that his whole life had been an attempt to work for God rather than live out of a relationship of love and friendship. He remembered that his denominational leaders had told him, go and work for God. He understood what it meant to be a servant, but he did not know what it meant to be a friend. He now saw that his primary calling was not to serve God, but to pursue God, to develop his friendship. God wants us to give, but from a place of love, not fear. God wants us to serve, but from a place of love, not work, where I'm trying to earn his acceptance. Is this making sense to you? Many times a friend and a servant will do the same thing, but they're in the field for different reasons. The servant's in the field because he's earning a wage. The friend's in the field because the work's got to get done. I'm in the field because I'm helping my friend bring the harvest in. Pray ye that the Lord would send laborers into the field. But we'd go into the field as friends. Go ahead and lift your hands. I got so much to say, I'm not done. Paul would later on say, we rejoice in this ministry of friendship. That we've been reconciled to God. We're the friends of God. Everyone say, I am a friend of God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, take the blinders off. Help us to see how wide the door is of relationship. And that we would enter into it. Father, I pray that life would be new. Your goodness. Your goodness. Your goodness. May it flood every area of our lives. In Jesus' name.